Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Hello, Steve. Hey, another day, (laughs) another podcast, hey? Yeah, and what a weekend. Uh, This is coming out. On March the 12th, Friday, we have our Wild Sheep Salute to Conservation tonight. Today's showtime. No pressure, though, hey? You, you, you can't really tell that uh, you're, you're balding and you're pulled out all your hair, or what is it? Is that gray hair showing up? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good times. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, we've been working on this a long time, and I'm really excited about the show tonight. It's, uh, there's going to be a lot going on, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty stoked, actually. It's, yeah, it's, it's it, well we've, we've been building this a year right the, when we were in Kamloops last year it was okay well what do we do next year if this is still going on so it all comes down to well hours hours away when this is released hours away so the ball's now in the bidder's court we'll say yeah so over to wildsheepsociety.com get registered if you haven't already uh jetstream jacket for a door prize for nothing you can register for nothing and then if you want to Put some money on the ground for conservation. Give us twenty bucks or a hundred bucks, and that's going to elevate. Uh, get a few extra things for that. You're going to have unlimited access to the content. Um, twenty dollar donation, you get a chance to win a Yeti cooler mm-hmm. as a door prize. And if you want to go up to a hundred bucks, got really good odds at winning a very cool Stone Glacier backpack. Uh, you know, it's nine hundred thousand dollar value. So uh, definitely great time to support conservation. Uh, the show is going to be a lot of fun. We got some really cool speakers. Um, and uh, we got some cool giveaways. Uh, we're going to draw our uh, WSR winners on Saturday night, and um, and actually tomorrow on the 13th, we're going to announce our new raffle. And yeah, this is, that this one's amazing. Like I'm really excited. stoked, stoked for this one. I got, I definitely got to get tickets for this one. This is something we haven't had before. Like this, this style, right? Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we had a similar one to this yes. uh, in our first years, our Wild Sheep Raffle years ago. Yeah, um, similar, but, but this one's there's a little bit more to this one. Yeah, so one of our uh, guests on the show, Ben Beriakoff, he's been on here before with Canadian Wildlife Capture. Uh, Ben's a monarch member of the Wild Sheep Society. We see a massive supporter, always doing the good work for conservation. Uh, he's 2% certified, uh, a, a guy that he's gives back. Yeah, he's the real deal. So Ben reached out uh, a few months back and he says, you know, let's raise some serious money for wild sheep. And I'm like, well, what do you got in mind? And he goes, how about a fully guided Roosevelt elk hunt with Coastal Inlet Adventures in British Columbia, uh, renowned for world-class Roosevelt bulls. If you're going to shoot a big bull in BC, that's where you're going to kill it. Oh, they're huge there. Huge there. I remember growing up, we had a cabin in Powell River and we'd, we'd see these elk roaming around before there were seasons. It was just, this, this is once in a lifetime. This is a draw that uh you're you're gonna get a chance to win uh it's it's super exciting so yeah ben reached out he goes uh, i'm gonna personally guide the hunt 
um, and I'm going to get Canadian Wildlife Capture to donate it. So this is a fully donated hunt from Canadian Wildlife Capture, guided by Ben Berikoff with Coastal Inlet Adventures, a uh, hunt of a lifetime. There's only a thousand tickets available. Um, your odds are very good on it. Tickets are $50 a piece, and we're going to run this through uh, until um, August. It'll be drawn in August. Um, Just it's in time a guide, for the season. And it's just this fall, exactly. It's November 1st to 10th, uh, 2021. And this is really appealing for us British Columbians. Uh, you know, a lot of these hunts, guided hunts, are appealing to foreigners. But in BC, how tough is it to get a, a Roosevelt draw? And and certainly one in a coveted area like this. You can't get oh. them, right? It, it's uh, The odds are so slim. I've been putting in for Roosevelt for ever since I've been uh, hunting here in BC, and I've never got drawn, right? I put in for areas known for better odds, but... Uh, or lower odds but uh fantastic hunt and uh yeah definitely want to get tickets on that so that's available saturday um go to our website mm -hmm. and it'll be under our raffles tab and you can get uh, get tickets on that hunt so fantastic oh yeah and just like just like everything else every single dollar stays right here in bc and goes to on the ground projects what what was our total dollars in 2020 that went to on the ground from project from raffles like this yeah 270,000 is what you know through yeah. collectively we did and you know, that's a lot. And again, you say it all the time, Steve, it just doesn't help the sheep. It helps uh, all the, all the species, right? Um, stuff we hunt, stuff we don't hunt, uh, everything benefits from it. So yeah, it's across the board. Absolutely. Cause couldn't be better. And yeah, pretty exciting raffle. So yeah, badgers to butter, that. badgers to butterflies and mule deer to stone sheep, right? It's just because it says wild sheep society doesn't mean everything else doesn't benefit when we do projects like this. So yeah, stoked stoked for this one and uh i i can't wait to get my tickets right on okay episode 24 i believe we're up to it is um yeah hard to believe uh it's uh it's been a, a wicked ride we've had <laughs> lots of great uh, feedback from you guys keep the ideas coming we want to hear who you want to see on the show um but this one's really cool um we're sitting down with uh, tanner danish from frontiers men gear uh, they're doing some fantastic work in the custom knife world in British Columbia. Uh, we've partnered with them on the Stony, which we talk about on the show. And uh, Tanner brings up a lot of really cool aspects of the knife making uh, world. Uh, and some really good, uh, relevant, uh, everyday stuff that you need to know. How to treat your knife in the field, how to take care of it, what to do in the off-season. Um, you know, what kind of knife you probably want to take on a sheep hunt, that sort of stuff. So what not really to good do. information. <laughs> what not to do. Yeah. Exactly. What not to open, what not to open yeah. with a knife. Well said. I was taking notes the whole time and it's cause I'm going to, you know, he, he mentioned, uh, you know, what you want to be using for a sharpening stone in the field. And it's, I've never used that. And I, you know, I, I realize now I need to, I need to invest in, in something a little, there we in go. In one of those. So, I already Googled yeah. it. <laughs> right on. So, so, yeah, that's on my list of things to get for this fall for sure. So, awesome. 15 bucks. That's 15 it, bucks it. is all those cost, yeah. Yeah, so. wicked. And basically nothing for weight. So, no. um, yeah, it's fantastic. All right, so episode 24, uh, Tanner Danish, Frontiers Men Gear. Enjoy. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire.
Good morning from our two beautiful Prince George. Tanner, how's things with you? Yeah, it's doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on call. It's, uh, it's doing nice here. Our uh, weather's finally turned around, so that's a big yeah. bonus. It certainly has. I forgot you're in Prince George, aren't you? Yeah, yeah eight degrees today. You guys two together. If it wasn't for COVID, you guys could hang out and have a cocktail and um, a breakfast cocktail and have a <laughs> chat about knives. So. I'm a cocktail. Yeah. It's too late in the morning for that. <laughs> yeah. Are you uh, are you in your studio though, Tanner? It looks like you might be in the house. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, office that we have down here, um, where you know, hang the heads and stuff like that. Right on. Well, cool. Th- thanks for uh, coming on the show. Um, you know, you uh, you're doing a ton of great work in the in the uh, knife making community. Um, certainly made a name for yourself role really quick uh, early on here. And um, and the one thing that really stood out for me is your support for conservation groups as well. Um, you know, so really excited to to see the work that you're doing, um, see the products that you're building. Um, I've got one of your lightweight mountain knives, and now we've partnered on this uh, this new knife making venture that uh, you supported us on through. Uh, presenting the stony so we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit here but uh you know i'd like to you know our listeners to get to know you a little bit and i know that you're a dyed in the wool hunter and and talk about your some of your experiences as well before we kind of jump into the knife stuff so um you know if you don't mind tanner do you want to just you know talk a little bit about you and and kind of your upbringing and and uh you know and how you got to where you are today specifically with the knife the knife thing Okay, yeah. Uh, so my name's Tanner Danish. I uh, grew up kind of in the Dawson Creek area. Um, my mom and dad, they came from up in Norman Wells in the Northwest Territories. So kind of before we could even walk, we were uh, in the Mackenzie Mountains on horseback or by bush plane or something like that. And we actually, uh, it was kind of cool. We got to take our fir- first steps on the Mackenzie Mountains, like my brother and myself. So that's, uh, we kind of had it bred right into us, didn't have much of a choice. And, and, um, but no, I cut my I cut my teeth hunting elk in the Peace Country area, and that's kind of uh, kind of my fallback. Always like going back there and doing that. Um, but hunting was just always kind of a part of our life, and there wasn't really <clears throat> wasn't really a choice, especially up in uh, the Northwest Territories. I mean, they hunted for sustenance up there, and that's that's all it was. So I mean, they got they didn't have much of a choice when you have a barge coming in the summer and then a nice road they can get out on usually once in the winter so hunting's just a part of part of life in my opinion very cool Uh, so you you grew up doing that and then did you you grew up in the dawson creek so now you're in prince george obviously there's a move there somewhere have you been there a long time or how does that work well i actually I, i went to I joined the army and I spent a stint there. When I got out, I really had no direction and kind of just jumped back in the oil field that I kind of grew up doing and ended up in Grand Prairie moving rigs and doing all kinds of stuff there. And then uh, that's where I met my girlfriend. And then I've kind of been actually chasing after her um, wherever she's been going to school for her uh, RN nursing. So we were down at Kamloops for a year and a half and um, just didn't like it. It was wasn't our wasn't our deal you know it was really nice but for myself wanting to hunt it was very foreign that kind of country down there and you know it just it was weird got out a couple times and I, I shot a buck and a uh, little uh, button buck the first year we were down there and then I ended up just driving up here all the time to go hunting and just turned into you know you get a gas blow at the end of the month and it makes you cringe so um Kennedy got uh, uh got offered a position at the school here for to finish her RN program so we ended up uh, coming up here and it's kind of a nice halfway point 
um, for us where I can still head north and go hunting there pretty comfortably and can kind of venture into some new new fun stuff kind of getting into the mountain goat hunting down on the coast and then uh, we're going to run up for caribou next year up by uh, up north uh, so yeah it's it, it's nice it's a nice spot it's a good in-between place for us right on yeah after chasing uh, those massive elk or you know 200 inch whitetails around the farm fields in that uh, country it's uh, been a shock going uh, and hunting button buck in uh, in the interior right so different environment yeah you know kind of traded uh willow willow bushes for a uh, sagebrush and didn't really know what the hell was going on so um no it's nice i like i like going back home and hunting there i'm comfortable there so it's good right on um so so you mentioned uh chasing goats did you uh what did you do this past fall what did you end up doing there for a hunt I actually, I didn't chase goats uh, last year. Just got too busy with elk. I was like 20, 24 days in the field last year, September 1st, and basically caught out of there like the 28th and only taking a few days off. So I was, I was pretty worn out and didn't really feel like going, going after general open uh, goats and didn't have a draw. So I kind of just shrugged that off. But the year before that, we had went off, uh, off an LEH tag down on the coast after uh in a really good goat spot a really hard to draw a tag and had a great hunt didn't connect with uh with a billy which was completely personal error it was not at the fact that they're not being goats and uh was a good learning lesson so um yeah definitely next year we'll go back after general open if i don't pull a tag on a goat nice any sheep hunts on the agenda have you been out chasing sheep yet or I definitely want to uh, this year, this um, we're running up north to go on a, actually it's going to be a hike in caribou hunt and there's, we've got word that there's some legal stones in there. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It's, I've, I've been putting off chasing them because I know I'm pretty sure once I start chasing them that everything else is going to take a back burner and uh, my business might start hurting because of it. So (laughs) I want to get my business established first before I get the sheep bug too bad. (laughs) Yeah, probably not a bad idea for sure. So, um, okay, cool. So can you talk a little bit about um, the genesis of your knife making? I know you had a mentor and an influencer in your life. Uh, I believe his name was Ken and, and was really influential in your work there. Can you talk about, you know, your early interest in it? Like when this when this bug hit you, was it, you know, in your, when you're a young boy or is it something a little bit later on? How did that work, your, your interest in it? Well, actually, I... <clears throat> Ken was gracious enough that he brought my brother and myself in. We were such good family friends when I was about 10 and uh, got to build my first knife with him then and design the whole thing. And, you know, he was all about the full custom builds also. So it was really cool and really um, set the foundation for being creative and building stuff. And, you know, my mom was always building pottery or doing photography or stuff like that. So we were just used to building stuff and doing things like that. But it ended up just as we were growing up, just, um, I don't know if you just lose interest in stuff. I was playing hockey and all this other stuff and it, it drifted off. And then, so what happened was I actually pretty much forgot about it. And then when I got out of the army, we were living down in Kamloops and I went out to visit Ken again one time. And he said basically that he was done and he's written off knife making his eyes are no good. His hands are failing, that kind of thing. And I just was curious and asked him if he had ever taught anybody and he said no. And I, I thought it was kind of a crime to have 40 years of experience get 
just washed away. So by the time we had left, it took some convincing, but I uh, convinced him to do an apprenticeship with myself. And then, um, so over eight months, I ended up going out there every weekend for eight months and did my apprenticeship with him. And he was very thorough about stuff and wasn't happy unless it was perfect, which was great. And and uh, it basically just sparked, yeah, re-sparked re it, I guess, for myself and really grew my interest back into it. And then once I kind of picked it up again, it just, it turned into an avalanche, just started rolling and rolling into the other side, like with ultralights and with everything else that I'm trying to do. And it kind of is uh, a burning flame that's, I can't really put out at all, even though it'd be nice to put it out for the odd weekend and take a weekend off, but it doesn't seem to happen. Oh, fantastic. So, um, you know, on that, that note, then let's, let's jump into the knife aspect of it. And uh, so you, you started out, you did the mentor, uh, the apprenticeship program, How, you know, what, what's involved in the, in the entire process, I guess, really. And I, I guess let's start off high level about your knife making philosophy. So obviously you had that mentorship um, and obviously you talked about the custom experience and perfection, obviously, but what's your kind of philosophy or take on, on knife building just in general from a high level aspect, I guess, really Tanner. So, um, my business, I've built it all around this uh, completely custom, completely handmade uh, slogan. But for myself, more than anything, and I'm, and every day I'm kind of pushing more that direction of building, um, trying to find a breach between art and uh, a usable tool that you can actually take out and beat the crap out of and rely on, but also bringing that art side into it. I mean, can he, he built, it was all custom stuff and a lot of it was, uh, really cool but it was all like function was number one it didn't matter it, it didn't matter if it didn't really look good or if maybe this didn't fit it was a hundred percent function which was a great learning point for myself to build a base off of and then go into the more artsy side of it and um, it's knife making is such a seems like there's lots of people that pick it up as a hobby and kind of you know they start making knives on their free time and this and that but it was um it was important to myself to have um, just an extremely high quality of product to bring to people uh, built here in BC where, where, you know, a lot of the high end knife makers are all down in the States and they they're great at what they do and everything like that. But it's um, you just don't, don't have, I don't think uh, you don't have, you don't see it as much up here. And it just was really important to me to bring that quality up here. So on that note, what would you say uh, some of the things that you do um, that that stand out in terms of quality? So, you know, you, as an example, if I go into a local store and I buy, a, you know, a, a knife like a buck or whatever, um, and compare it to something that you're building, what, what kind of what, what are the major differences there? Obviously, there's a custom aspect of it. But, yeah. you know, what are some of the things that stand out with your product that you wouldn't get from something over the counter? Um. I think I think the biggest step, which is always the first, is you know the the actual steel quality itself. So we work with a few different steels. I prim I primarily use Nitro V. It's called. It's a really high end steel that's just it, it's it's um, when you when you look at tool steels and carbon steels and stuff like that that a lot of um, big manufacturers use. It's really easy to make blades out of because it's really soft uh, prior to heat treat. So it's um, they can maneuver it or if they're punching it or punching it out of a big blank thing of steel or anything like that, 
um, it's easy for them to use and, and ease, ease equals profits for them. And I totally understand why they do it. But when you start getting into the custom side or the handmade side, you can start working with higher end super steels like Nitro V, uh, L Max, M390, stuff like that. There's, there's qualities to that steel, that tool that are no different. I always relay knife making back to um, uh, gunsmithing and building rifles. And it's, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, a, a barrel's a barrel's made out of steel, regardless. But if it's if it's tuned and tweaked properly, that's the difference mm-hmm. between a high end rifle, you know, your your base model, whatever you whatever you put the model in. I don't want to dirt anybody on here, but <laughs> um, it, so I mean, steel's the biggest one. Uh, steel's a big one, and then the kind of the two other ones, in my opinion, are um, geometry of how that handle feels, mm-hmm. how that. The knife is built to feel like an, an extension of your body and not to sound all hippie mm-hmm. about it or anything like that, but it should, like you shouldn't get uh, hand fatigue from it. If you're using it all day, if you're relying on it to survive, if it's cold or you're breaking an animal down, that's, you know, you, you start breaking a big moose down and you know, it's, it's not a half an hour deal. It's multiple hours holding that knife and cutting stuff. And, um, by like myself, when we go through a build process and we talk about it, so when right hand, left handed, you know, or do you have big hands, small hands, it's all going to make a difference for how um, that knife is built towards built to you. And it, it makes a difference for how it feels and how comfortable it is. And then kind of the last thing is I always try and talk to people about is um, blade geometry of it. So when you I don't know. I'll probably bore people here and start putting them to sleep nope. if I explain it too much. But um, when you grind it, when you grind a knife, the, the bevel on a knife, you're, you're taking steel down and creating um, basically a primary edge. And right. a lot of big companies um, that you like big box companies, they're going to um, they're going to leave it very thick because they're not worrying about overheating anything and they, they have a CNC machine that's just blasting mm-hmm. the steel off and then they put a grind on it and they ship it out and it's it kind of is what it is but you these super steels you can take them so thin at the at the primary edge before you sharpen them that it, it creates a knife that um that you can really rely on it. and let's say you're breaking a sheep down or an elk or anything like that you know you, you can put you can actually use the steel for what it's made for and put it to work. And that edge is going to stay, you know, really, really sharp for a long time because of geometry. And that's it angles and everything like that. Like, I mean, I have formulas for every blade that we built and build in every shape and it should have a certain uh, angle. And that's going to depend how much you grind it and the bevels and everything Mm -hmm. like that. So there's kind of a whole mass side of it that can go into it also that you're just not going to get in the big box in the big box stores or anything like that you really got to find someone custom that knows what they're doing to do it so that was one of my um you know a latter question but we'll jump into it now since you brought it up is you get a knife you go out in the field um and obviously there's that balance between if it's if it's really thin um and i guess probably not the greatest steel you run the risk of it dulling easily or getting mm-hmm. uh, you know um broken or not broken but uh, damaged easily you know uh, with bone or that sort of thing and then obviously if it's more blunt uh, and and there's more a more thickness to it um, it's probably going to be a little bit more durable just at the design of it yeah. um, less risk of, of ruining that that edge um, but so where that really comes to mind for me 
is field maintenance and sharpening, right? So mm-hmm. how do I manage that edge in the field? So, and, and I, you know, you get these off the shelf uh, sharpeners and you just see there's just a, an angle on it, right? Well, yeah. you know, some of them, you, we know that if you got a really sharp angle, you know, a very, uh, uh, the geometry is such that it's a very, uh, there's not a lot of material there. Something like that, you'd have to sharp for, sharpen forever to get a, a sharp blade, right? So uh, I guess that's a big thing for me just, uh, and I know this is knife, Knives 101, but what do you, how do I keep that sharp in the field? What should I be using and what should, how do I maintain that edge when I'm, you know, sure, I get home, I can do that sort of stuff. I've got all kinds of material. I can, I know you guys offer lifetime sharpening, but what do I do in the field and, and what do you recommend for guys if they're out there, what should they be carrying with them for maintenance? No, that's, that's a really good point. And, and, and that's another point I really want to touch on is that it doesn't matter what you make that blade of. There's no alien super steel that's come down off a meteor that will stay sharp forever. It's, you're going to have to sharpen at some point. And, um, and, and especially on, you know, elk and moose and stuff like that. If, if a guy makes a mistake and he's hacking against that bone or something when trying to get a quarter off, you're going to wear that ed- edge out. So, um, Myself, I sharpen often in the in the field. I'll sharpen uh, like if I'm breaking, uh, let's say a, a bull down, a moose or an, or an elk or something like that. I'll set an alarm on my phone, and every 45 minutes, I always forget to drink water. So 45 minutes, I'll take a drink of water, and it's just a couple passes, and your and your knife's going to be uh, hair popping sharp again, and just that constant maintenance can keep it up. So uh, what I really recommend is there's a, it is a work sharp. Uh, pocket knife sharpener it's a small ceramic rod mm-hmm. on the one side with diamond plate on the other i wouldn't touch the diamond plate but that ceramic rod it allows you to it, it, they have angles built into them and it's pretty close to angles i think they have they're like 22 and a half or something like that degrees so it's pretty it's pretty good you're not going to ruin your blade by going on it a bunch but a ceramic rod or even they make some some guys make like mini plates. I, I don't have any names off the top of my head, but little mini plate sharpeners are really small, just square. They'll weigh like, you know, almost nothing, quarter of an ounce. And using a stone or a ceramic rod or something like that, where you can maintain the angle is really what's going to, um, something that you want to use in the field. And they weigh almost nothing. So I really try and push those pocket knife sharpeners on guys. It's a, it's a great system and WorkSharp really nailed it on the head with that. Okay, so something like that, you're out in the field, you got an animal down, so every 45 minutes, just clean your knife off, get that out, and just run it past three or four times just to keep it up for the... Yeah, so I'll do, I'll just do a, a few passes on each side, and then I'll, I'll kind of look at it and make sure it's not too chipped or anything like that, and then I'll just do whatever, like maybe five passes each side, four passes, three passes, two, one, until you're just doing one pass on each side of that blade, and then you'll be able to uh, just by drawing it against where your hairs are on your knuckle or something like that, you'll be able to feel that it's sharp again. And, and that by doing um, maintenance more often, you're not going to have this huge job when you get home of, you know, you're rebuilding the whole damn thing when you get home again, like it's just constant maintenance, like cleaning a rifle or anything. I mean, some people don't do that either, but um, yeah, it's, I always recommend doing it often. Uh, and the guys don't have to like i mean i've got one of our um one of the guys that we work with really constantly and send blades to he processed like an elk a moose a billy goat and i think two deer on his on a lynx blade like that mount series you have kyle and he never sharpened it but 
he sent it back to me to get sharpened and it was like a butter knife. You wouldn't be able to even cut butter with it. But I mean, if that's your thing also, but it's, if you need to, you can get a lot out of it. I recommend sharpening a lot. And a sharp knife here is going to be safer. Like it's, I always try and explain that to people also. It's when that knife gets dull, they start really pushing and stuff or really pulling on stuff. And next thing you know, you're cutting your knuckle, you're cutting your misses that you brought out on a hunt or something like that. And that's not going to be good. So, yeah. So in that scenario, um, you're out in the field, you're doing your field maintenance. Um, you know, you maybe have a camp day, you got lots of time you can spend on the blade, that sort of stuff. So now you're home, you're done. Um, and it's the winter, right? You're sitting around, it's March 2nd, you got nothing better to do other than listen to our podcast, of course. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you do for then? Like, so um, I'm sitting at home, should I be sharpening that thing? Like do a, like get a proper blade or get, you know, uh, a better ceramic uh, rod or what, what's the, what do you recommend for someone in the off season for maintenance? So I really recommend um, find, find a good company of ceramic uh, they call them like whetstones or like some people call them like Japanese whetstones. Um, and not to plug, but we, we have a kit that we're bringing that we'll be selling, but for any outdoorsman or anything like that, I really recommend them. They're an investment. They're going to be 350 bucks, something like that, but you're going to have them for the rest of your life. And that's exactly a, take it down to a 400 grit stone and reset that whole edge, create that burr on it, a really heavy burr, and then remove that burr. And then refine it down, go like 400 grit, 1000 grit. And then I usually go about 1500 for hunting knives and about 6000 for kitchen knives. And, but yeah, break that edge right down again, go right down to 400 grit and reset that edge because you're going to be, it's going to turn into a foil where it wants to fold really easily over time. And you want to just clean slate it, just knock it down, redo it again. And so nano hone, if anybody's, if anybody's listening and actually cares and wants to buy a system, they, they have great stones that, um, that I use and all of our knives get sharpened on. And, um, I really recommend them, but do the investment, learn how to use it. You're, you're not going to be, please don't run it through like a, a belt thing where you like all these companies like work sharp. And some of these guys have them where it's little tiny belts and you turn the thing on and you swipe your knife through it. Please god damn don't do that just send it to me i'll sharpen it in that case you're gonna ruin it so if you get somebody and they have the proper system they have nano stone they can set their system up and they could probably do that they do that every fall uh, after every fall and they're going to be set for life they'll probably never need to send it back to you they'll be set up but if they're not doing that and they just have a simple little kit you know every year or two every few years they're gonna have to maybe send back to you and get it touched up what, what's the approach to that yeah i you have to go by how much you use it. Like, I mean, right. um, there's some guys that, and not, not definitely everyone each in their own, but if you're only shooting maybe a deer a year or, you know, small animal, the odd cat, wolf, something like that, just touch it up on, like I said, those ceramic rods, um, like from Workshop, those little systems or even a leather strop. So just a piece of leather with some uh, buffing uh, rouge on it and just reverse strokes against it to refine just to hone that edge back together and you can go a long time with it. Like, I mean, but other guys that are really using that blade, I recommend once a year, either like at the end of your season, we you know you have a bit of time. Like you said, you're getting cabin fever, just either send it back to me or else get the seat or get the whole set and sit down and learn how to do it. it. It's gratifying. You know, it's no different than learning to sharpen a chainsaw or, you know, sight in a rifle or anything. I think 
it's something, uh, it's a skill that everybody should know how to do just in case kind of thing. But once a year is really solid. If you're using it hard, I'd say once a year and you're never going to wear that knife down. Like I've had guys that wonder and they're like, well, I don't want to sharpen it too much. I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to be half the size. And it's like, well, yeah, that's like 25 years. You might, if you sharpen it every like six months, you might break the knife down to half the size, but Cool. Okay. So let's talk about a, a mountain hunting scenario. You know, you've gone on goat hunts and like, let, you know, this isn't, you know, shooting uh, an elk and having your truck nearby, you pull up, you're, you're in the back country. Um, and you talk to guys and guys are like, Oh, I take four knives with me or three knives. And, and I know guys <laughs> that actually take three knives and then, and I've kind of done, I've kind of done the gamut. I've done certainly two, sometimes maybe three, I've never done four, but uh, but last year, I actually only carried my one uh, my one knife with me. So, what's what's your recommendation? Okay, for you personally, you're going out on a mountain goat hunt. Um, yeah. You get your leh. You're going on your hunt. What are you going to take in that scenario? Are you taking two knives with you, or what? What's the plan? No, I'll just take. Um, I'd probably I'm going to take a small caper. Is something that I'm going to take, and that's it. So something that uh, I'm okay processing a whole animal with a smaller blade, and maybe having to touch it up halfway through. And then being able to cape that animal out with that same small blade. So, uh, and then for our for our mountain series, like one that I carried all last year was our lynx blade. That same one you have, Kyle. That blade can handle everything. Like you use it to break down elk, and then you can cape it out after you're done. Also, I'm gonna bring one knife. That's it. It if I know I'm going on some you know moose tour where I'm gonna crush a bunch bunch of animals, I might bring you know something more based around skinning, and then I'll do. I'll have a blade where I can break that the initial cuts down that you're cutting through hair. And then I might bring the links in and clean it all up after that. It's, it's, um, it's tough for me to say though, cause it's really personal preference. Like you said, mm. there's some guys that they, they want a knife to break it down and they want a knife for, uh, you know, going around there. And then they maybe want um, a scalpel blade for when they're doing the, the caping and stuff like that. But my opinion is one small caping knife and you're going to be able to handle absolutely the whole process of any size of animal. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I'm, I'm subscribing to that way of thinking too. I just, uh, especially if you're hunting with somebody, you got two knives, it's, you know, it's not something that it's a moving part that's going to fail. Um, I guess yeah. the worst case scenario, you lose it, right. That's, that would be the worst case, but if there's two of you, you still have the redundancy, right? So. Yeah. And I mean, and everybody focuses so hard, especially now the whole focus is ounces and ounces equals pounds and trying to cut weight, cut weight, cut weight. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, you're cutting weight. And then like, we're building you knives that weigh an ounce and then you're bringing three of them. And it's like, well, what the hell is the point of that? (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, cool. So we've talked a little bit about the operational use of these. Now I know you do a lot of custom work and you've got your mountain series, um, you've got the links, you've got the Puma and, uh, and now our new Stony, um, which we'll talk about in a minute, but let's go back to the, talk about the custom aspect of things. I see a lot of guys on, uh, the internet are using your stuff. Um, you do a lot of work for different guys. So somebody comes to you, they want a custom knife. Um, talk about that process and how that, that works. I, I haven't done the custom process with you. So talk us through. I come to you and say, Tanner, I want you to build me a custom knife. I want something special. How does that look? And what's that process? So we've got, um, I've got about a dozen permanent shapes that I, that I offer to people. If they, if they don't have a shape in mind that they're like, Oh, I want rebuild me this shape kind of thing. Then I'll say, you know, we've got, 
a whole line from caping knives to uh, mid-sized hunters, butcher knives, kitchen knives, filleting knives, everything. And so a guy will pick the shape. So whether it's a custom and it'll hand sketch it out, they have something or they want it really custom or else uh, pick one of the permanent shapes that we have. Then we'll go through and basically go off finish of that knife. So satin or mirror polish, and then go into, uh, do you want that heavy steel finger bolster, which some guys still really like. I don't know why, but um, some guys still like it. And then, um, and then we'll go into uh, handle material. So there's everything from, we offer everything from uh, mammoth ivory, Siberian mammoth ivory to uh, walrus. Uh, we've got some stuff from Africa, like um, warthog tusks, stuff like that. Lots of exotic woods, synthetic. It's just a whole gambit. So I usually get people to explain what their primary focus is for that knife and what they're wanting out of it. And then we'll we'll kind of cater to that. And then and then I mean, then there's hardware pin, pins, like what color handles or what color pins you want, what color hardware, uh, any liners on that. And then we'll get into the sheath work. So we do all of our sheath work in in-house also so then we'll we'll build that sheath around whatever a guy wants whether it's they're going to be riding lots with and they want a cowboy sheath or maybe they want something they can tuck under a, a hoodie or something like that and we'll give them a horizontal carry scout sheath or if they're just going really lightweight we'll just put them in a guide sheath with no belt loop and just protect that blade and stick it in the pack um so it's really it's it's catered to build a blade exactly how somebody else wants it so trying trying to build somebody's dream dream and you know some people they don't really know what they want they just want a custom knife and we'll kind of help them pick pick some stuff and then we got some customers that know exactly what they want and they're very particular about it and they're very clear on what they want so uh we kind of handle all of it and we we just do a real case-by-case -case scenario and and then like i said everything comes into play from like are you right-handed left-handed um are you giving this to your son that you want him to use it all year? Or are you just sticking it on the shelf and you're just going to look at it? So, Right on. So somebody comes in, they want a custom build. Um, and let's say it's not an existing shape you have and, and you got to build it from scratch. So obviously there's going to be some artwork involved. They're going to have some yeah. weigh in on that. How long can that process take if the customer is pretty proactive about it? Um, so I've actually closed my books for 2021. So um, when I reopen them again, I'm about three months out on builds. And then as they start stacking up, once I announce that my books are open again, orders start kind of flooding in. And then I'll basically start booking out right into a, a year out. And then after, right after, after I'm booking at a year, then I'll close those books down again. So, um, you know, if you get ahead of the pack, it's going to be, I say, I, I can build a knife quick if there's nothing else going on. But the fact of the matter is like, we're building scabbards and these ultralights and everything else so there's a lot of other shit that's on the bench at the time so three months is going to be like the close or the soonest that you're going to get a knife if you catch it right when our books open and then all the way out to 12 months and then there's some guys that you know they order like high-end museum pieces and stuff on i did a like a big bowie knife 13 inch bowie knife last year and it had like full waller's tusk off the back end double guards on it and it was going to go sit on a guy's personal in a, in a guy's personal museum and that was that was 10 months and like he he started right from the beginning and it was just so many he wanted so many changes to it and the iterations and then certain materials that had to come from russia and all over so it 
it can take as long as a guy wants if he really wants to uh, get picky with it. It can take a long time. So something like that, if somebody designs something, they, you know, you draw it, you create um, the artwork around it. Okay, yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, where does it go from there? Like, how, how do you, uh, you, you have to create a mold around that? Or, or how does that work in terms of that so aspect of it? Yeah, so I'll sketch it all out by hand on grafting paper and then uh, work with the customer once he's happy with it. Then I basically I'll cut that out and create a steel template from it. So a thin, um, thin tin template that I can work with. And then I can actually feel it in my hands and make sure it's 100% and actually gonna work how the guy wants to. And I transfer that onto uh, whatever steel we're actually using and I'll, I'll work it out of that steel, cut it out and shape it and everything like that. And I'll profile that steel down and um, once it's profiled down, we're not doing any heat treating in-house right now. We're working to get that going, but I really need a bigger space to be able to do that, which we're trying to get into and, and, uh, at least one other employee, if not two to handle all that heat treating. So anyways, I'll, I'll get it down to about 80% finished on those bevels and everything, send it off to heat treat. Once it get back, once it gets back from heat treat, then I'll, uh, basically I'll go into the, just the finishing side of it and, uh, so whether we're doing a hand finish or a mirror polish on it, if we're mirror polishing, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hours of, you know, building those grits up, getting all the way up to like 20, we'll go to like 20,000 grits is our final finish on that. And it creates that perfect mirror polish. So um, there's, there's a few steps that go into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so can you talk a little bit what, you know, guys are out there using the product. What, what's a common uh, issue that guys run into what, I guess what, and, and I, you know, I'm not asking you to expose your weaknesses as a business, but just, you know, what do guys have issues with it? Is it holding the edge? Is it, you know, is there other issues? What, what tends to be the biggest issue that here you hear just in general from guys that are using knives out in the field? Yeah. So it's, I I'd say 90% um, is just guys curious why knife got dull you know, they're halfway through an elk and the knife got dull or something like that. Um, like, like we were talking about, we take our edges really thin. So um, we take it down to 12,000, 12 thousandths of an inch. So it's a very, it, it's a hairline blade that's wow. really sharp, but it's um, if, if a guy's really cutting against bone or something like that, you are going to dull that knife. Like it's just take the time to not cut against bone, not cut through <laughs> hair, stuff like that. Like it's not a chopper. No, fuck. We, yeah. I, I had a guy, it was like right when I started and I was still doing this part time and the business wasn't actually fired up or anything like that. I made a caping knife for him and uh, he fucking sends me an email and he's like, Hey man, uh, yeah, your caping knife, it snapped in half. I snapped the blade <laughs> off of it. I'm like, what? how like and i was like worried because i'm like jesus christ like is the steel fucked up did i mess up the heat yeah. tree what happened so i'm just spiraling i'm like well send me a picture she sends it and it's clean like cleaved straight off right at where that bevel is and he's like yeah i was trying to open a 50 gallon drum with it and uh, <laughs> pop the metal lid off i'm like jesus christ well yeah it's not made for that so um, i mean our our warranty covers most stuff I usually don't cover that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so the biggest thing is we we take our edges really thin. We want a high-performing knife. We want a race car of a knife. So uh, kind of if um, 
if you're not paying attention or if it's late at night or something like that, you might dull it by hitting against that pelvis or really scraping against mm. bone and stuff like that. You might, might dull it a little bit there. Cool. Um, so now for you, for a business, um, you, you know, you, you started out, you, you're, you're crushing it. You got a really successful business. Where do you go from here, man? Like, so, <laughs> and how do you evolve? Like that's, you know, uh, cause you've created this, you know, this, these great products. Um, so, uh, you know, how do you stay current? I guess a lot of it's the artwork, um, new materials, like what, what, you know, where do you see the evolution of the business for you? Um, yeah, it's uh, late for the last six months. It's just been keeping up it, to be honest. We've, um, it, it was such a quick escalation in this business which was not expected on my part. And yeah, it's just been, been keeping up, which has been great, but obviously it has its downsides. So, uh, we're still we're still working on lots of new. Um, I don't want to give too much up, but we've got uh, we're working on a line of, and I've kind of teased it a bit of semi custom knives. So for a guy, will there'll be like three handle options. They're not epoxy. They just uh, have bolts holding them together, like hex hex head oh, bolt, yeah. and they'll be in stock, ready to go for a guy. So they're not fully custom, but you know we'll have them in two different blade shapes, and guys will say, I want. You know, and they'll just be uh, G10 handles, so it's a th- synthetic mm-hmm. based handle. So say, oh, I want red or I want black or orange, and we'll pop those handles on and put them in the mail. So guys will have a more medium price point. I know our customs are high end, and the price reflects that. And I get that it's not practical for a lot of people. So um, it'll kind of be a midpoint between our mountain series, and then we're working on some new mountain series shapes also, which I'm really excited about. Um, so their prototypes are done. They're going into testing this fall on bears. So I'm really, really excited. And just, we're, we're, we just really want to keep uh, trying to change the game and not just produce uh, more shit of just a little bit different blade shape or somebody else came up with something. So we tweak it a bit and then put it out. Like, that's not what we want to do. We're not trying to flood the market with different, different crap. We want to mm-hmm. really change someone's system or how they're using stuff. So we there's more ideas than there are time right now um and lots of stuff on the kitchen side of it too butchering and things like that but uh and as for handling it like we're before covid i I was really looking at getting into an industrial space i wanted to have a small storefront community spot and um be able to run you know knife knife making courses over the back end and run sharpening courses and stuff like that and it's 100% still on the radar. It's on the go. We just need this damn virus to, mm-hmm. to hit the road. And then we can kind of keep processing with that kind of stuff. And once we do that, I'll be able to bring a couple of apprentices in, which I really want to do. I want to bring in um, some guys, whether they're uh, veterans, I want to get into it, stuff like that. Um, or we're kind of open to anything. But we definitely are looking at expansion and we want to like this year already, we're looking at hitting 500 of these mountain series and then a hundred customs. And um, I'm going to keep the customs will always be my baby. That's under Mm -hmm. my foot, but I'm, I'm happy to expand and start bringing other people in to build these mountain series and, and these semi custom blades and shit like that. So there's lots on the radar, but um (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're hampered by this virus, it feels like. so. Well, that's awesome. The cool thing I'm hearing here, Tanner, is you're building a brand. You're not just building knives, right? And yeah. uh, I think that's a pretty cool um, 
you know, it's you're building a community around it, which is which is fantastic. You know, I think we need more of that uh, in everything that we do and something you believe in, something you're passionate about uh, and it resonates. Now, let's talk about uh, the work that you're doing in the community. Um, you've been a fantastic supporter of the Wild Sheep Society, B.C. I see you supporting other organizations in the conservation world. Uh, I know you did mention it earlier, veterans, you do a lot of support there. Uh, let's just talk about your philosophy around that and who you guys support. So we donate uh, 5% of our total sales um, but before taxes, like gross sales are 2.5%. They go to uh, Wild Sheep Society BC, you guys, and then 2.5% go to the Wounded Warriors Project here in Canada. Um, it's always been my mindset that um, to be successful, you have to give back. And, you know, if you, we feel strongly about it. Uh, like you said, it, I don't really know how to uh, put it into words, but um, yeah, we, we feel we feel lucky to be in the position where we can give back. So we feel like it's an obligation to do that. Not just an obligation, but we want to. And it's something that we're going to continue to push harder. So we've got <clears throat> some stuff going for you guys, Wild Sheep. And then we've got, we're starting to work with uh, uh, Wild, Sheep, or, uh, Wild Sheep Foundation in Alberta and do some donations for them. Uh, and, you know, we're kind of we're kind of open to anything we're not really boxing ourselves in for who we support and stuff like that whether it's um whether it's we do a raffle to raise some money for xyz or you know there's some um some people that popped up in the hunting community like that girl that had cancer that Haley girl and we're happy to donate to stuff like that like the we're we're lucky to be successful right now and we want to keep that good good feeling going and uh really just try and try and spread the wealth as much as possible and that's that's not going to stop that's only going to expand and um there's lots of other stuff that i want to do with that kind of stuff in the um in the veteran side of it uh, more bringing veterans into it and working you see it lots in the u.s with lots of opportunities for veteran employment but we don't we don't see it up here nearly as much as there, mm -hmm. there should be in my mind. So something I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing some, some guys on board and trying to do more stuff around them um, and, and, and bring them into the outdoor space. I think, I think that's a big part of it that some, something big that's on my radar that I'm trying to figure out how to do is run more courses for those guys that are dealing with stuff from overseas. That's awesome, man. Hats off to you. And you know, I, a lot of respect for that on both angles, the veteran side of things and your conservation leadership there too. And yeah, I just love seeing people step up. And uh, so hats off to you and, and everything that you've done to support. Um, just absolutely privileged and, and honored to be associated with you. Now, so that kind of leads us to where we're going to talk. Let's let's jump into the Stony. So uh, you reached out to the society, um, had some dialogue about doing this custom uh, collaboration that you were going to create something around, uh, you know, wild sheep and, and work with us on that. So, um, if you don't mind, let's jump into that, talk about the process, talk about the knife. Um, and I can talk a little bit about on sales and that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, so I'll let you jump off with that Tanner, talk about the stony. Yeah. So I was really excited to do that. I mean, I, uh, might've pushed it on you guys more than you guys wanted, but, uh, it was something I was really looking forward, uh, really wanted to and had in my head. Uh, to bring a more a sheet based mountain knife uh, to the market and and bring it for you guys um, or more around I guess your your base the people that are so committed to wild sheep 
So yeah, we basically took the, we started with the Lynx blade and uh, we worked with you Kyle there on starting with the Lynx blade and then making some handle changes on it to uh, shave some more weight down, make them even lighter and uh, make them more, uh, we increased the mobility side of it. So we weren't worried so much about having to hack through large pieces of meat, but really um, do that fine work, uh, caping in the dark and stuff like that, where uh, it, it all matters. So we, we thinned that blade down, made it a little bit longer and put a, put a, a bull nose on it. So it, you, can, you can press that blade when you're um, in there caping in the nose or the eyelids or anything like that. You can, you can do a, a forward press motion instead of just always sitting there cutting and hacking away at stuff. So it's just small changes that we made. Um, it's definitely functions a lot differently than the Lynx, but it was based on the same model. Um, so we cut it down to, uh, we got it to 0.88 of an ounce for just Amazing. the blade by itself. Wow. Um, built, built of uh, Nitro V, that same super steel. It's a uh, very hard steel. It, it's, uh, we finished it off at Rockwell 62, which is um, a, a very high end on the hardness side of it. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's just meant to be a, a one-stop shop. So those guys don't have to bring uh, a knife to butcher and then a really high-end uh, scalpel knife to try and finish it, finish their cape off with. They can do the whole process with this. So they can break down that sheep. They can flesh off the hide when they're done with it. They can do all the fine caping work around the, around the horns and in the mouth and everything like that. So, um, and then, yeah, and then we're offering the two, two sheath options. So this, this uh, scout carry sheath, which is a horizontal carry, it's, it can fit on thin belts, like uh, a pretty narrow size belts, like if guys have mountaineering belts or anything like that, but it was more built around putting it on it, putting it on a pack harness or uh, bino harness, something like that. They can run it on their straps or under their armpit. I know guys like it there. And then we have, for just those really lightweight guys, we have the neck sheath, which we offer on all of our mountain series. But um, you can take the cord off that if you don't want to wear it around your neck. I like to have mine on my neck. And it just, it sits there. Uh, August 1st hits and it's pretty much, if I'm in the bush, it's it's uh, between my, my base layer and my mid layer. And it just hangs out there all year long. So, um it, it turned out to be, it, it actually caught me by surprise when we, we finished these blades off, how nice it ended up. Some, <laughs> sometimes it just, it's, uh, you got to go through a few different changes to the blade shape mm -hmm. or I don't like, or I don't like this, but just right off the bat, it was, oh, shit, that works perfect. Okay, well, <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, uh, we're, su feel super lucky to be able to pair with you guys on it and, um, Really, really hoping that your guys' uh, members and our customers will uh, be happy with it. It's it's going to fit a niche, I think, to be able to, like you said, break it down so just a guy's bringing one knife with them. No more three knife bullshit. Yeah, right on. Uh, completion date, what are we thinking? Mid-March to 15th, 20th, somewhere there? Yeah, 15th, 20th, we're right on board with that. As long as we have no wild Canada Post shipping uh, to Uganda or something crazy like that, which has happened um then that's what we're hoping for we've got uh everything's ready to go for them packages um sheaths are all uh basically done we just need the blades here so we can uh form fit those sheaths around them they're all so all of our all the leather sheaths they have uh, a locking uh welt in them so you don't lose that blade you have to pull it to get it out it's not just going to fall out on you so we just as soon as the blades show up we can finish those sheaths off 
drop them with paracord and um, get them off to the guys. So that's what we're hoping for is um, March 20th at the latest. Uh, they'll be shipping out of uh, wherever you guys are shipping them. We'll, we'll have them to you guys by March 20th. Fantastic. Yeah. So we, uh, anyone listening that's interested, we, we partnered with um, Tanner on this. So we had 30 knives um, and they've been really successful. Like I said, less than 0.9 ounces for the bear knife. Um, we've had four different versions of it and um, we ha- we're sold out of the no handle wrap with next sheath, but we still have three versions left. There's a handful left, but they, we expect them on this pre-order. They'll all sell out prior to uh, prior to the uh, pre-order being over. So we, we figured we'd offer them as a pre-order and then have them on our website. I don't think they're going to get there. Certainly some of them are going to be sold out. So uh, yeah, it's been really successful. We've been really excited to partner with you guys and uh, I'm really excited to see these knives. It's mm-hmm. uh, pretty, pretty cool yeah. collaboration for sure. I love the name for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's nice yeah. that it's like you said, it's a limited time thing. So there's going to be, there's 30 of them made and that's, that's it. Unless you guys want to get some more next year, or two years down the road. If not, then that, uh, that blade shape will get hidden away in the pile and it's not something that's going to be offered again. That's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. We'll put the show notes in there on how to get in touch with us if you're interested in them and, um, and share that out with our listeners. Um, okay. So for, for you, um, anything on the horizon? I guess you're booked up a year in advance, so you got lots of work ahead of you. You don't need to worry about that. Uh, we see some new things coming down the pipe from you that you talked about, but we have to wait on those. So if somebody wants a custom, um, are you are you taking emails now? What What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? They just have to wait. Yeah, so you can still uh, you can go on our website. So it's uh, www.frontiersmangear.ca. And you can still put in uh, an order form. So we have a blade build form on there. If you're interested, you can go on there. You can build the form and we'll get you a quote. And then basically, if you're interested, we'll put you on a contact list. So then uh, once the year is done, we have our contact list with however many people have built up over the year. And we'll just start uh, mass sending out those emails to whoever wants to get on the list first. So I definitely encourage people if they're still they might be interested for beginning of next year or something like that. Still reach out because it feels surprisingly fast for us. So um, get ahead of that. And and we always handle, we'll still, if, if guys are interested about stuff, I, I love to talk about it. Obviously it's, it's uh, basically my whole life now, aside from hunting. So if guys just want to chat about steel or knife or something they might be interested in in the future, I'm happy to do that or to go over uh, uses of it or um, a- a- really anything like that sharpening we're really open about all that so they can they can reach me um, through our social media so it's just uh, frontiersman gear it's all one word lowercase or uh, on our website there is all the contact info and then my personal number's on there guys don't don't feel uh, don't don't feel afraid to call or text anytime about it right on we'll put all that contact info in the show notes as well Tanner and uh, for anyone that's listening, we have our Wild Sheep Salute to Conservation March 13th, 14th. Uh, I think this will be coming out the Friday before on the, on the sorry, March 12th and 13th. So it'll be on March 12th. It'll come out. Um, and uh, we're going to have uh, some of uh, Frontier Men's Gear uh, stuff available uh, for that Tanner's fully donated to us um, for purchase on the, uh, or you can bid on, on our live auction stuff. So thank you again for supporting all that stuff too. So you're doing all this stuff, you're making uh, cash donations, you're building stuff for us, and you're donating. So 
definitely above and beyond Tanner. And mm-hmm. we're just super grateful for everything that you do to support the Wild Sheep Society of BC. So no, I appreciate it. And um, I, I try and try and pump your guys' tires as much as possible because it, it's true what you guys are doing. There's there's truly no other organization, at least in BC, that's putting as much time into our ungulates and especially sheep. But um, and then especially with raising awareness right now for all the all the crap going on with uh, the predator bands, which we probably don't need to get into at the at the end of this. But it's it's amazing what you guys are doing, it and it's it's needed. So by supporting you guys, I mean, it's, it's the smallest thing that we can do to try and do our part. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. And, and, you know, um, you, you mentioned the, the organization and it's driven by our members, right? Uh, you're a life member, Tanner, uh, you know, you reach out and say, Hey, and you know, that's the funny thing is, yeah, we, we work on you with this nice stuff, but you're emailing me or you text me and they're like, okay, well, what else do I need to do? How can we drive awareness around this predator issue? Um, and it's it's really our membership that's doing this. So I, I agree with you. I, I think I am biased, but I think we do have one heck of an organization. I think we're the best out there. And it's because of our members. They care. They're involved. They're people like you that are stepping up and they're getting involved day to day. Um, and it's just across the board, you know, just people really care about BC. They care about our wildlife. They care about our wild sheep. And it's 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 I love my my volunteer job because I get to work with people like this every single day that care so much. It's awesome. So, yeah, it's an amazing community. It really is. And I encourage even non hunters to get into it as much as possible because it is such a community of community aspect to it. Right on, man. Well, I think uh, we've taken enough of your time. I'm sure you got some grinding or some uh, designing to do, yeah. so I won't take any more of your day, but really appreciate everything you do, Tanner. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, really, thankful for the support that uh, frontiers men gear has offered us and and continues to do their part as far as i'm concerned really well across the conservation community it's, it's amazing so well no i appreciate you guys and i look forward to uh, watching the salute to conservation seeing how good everything does yeah totally stoked that's gonna be fun for sure so yeah awesome dude have a good one okay thanks you too